started a series last week studying the grace of God. And very, very excited. I believe this is just going to be an encouraging series for each of us as we look at our God. I said last week that it's necessary to preach on lots of different things. Sometimes you've got to preach on sin. Sometimes you've got to preach on man. I preached a sermon not too long ago about man. But there's nothing like getting to preach about God. This morning, we're going to continue our thought and our study about the grace of God. And I I want to talk to you about the power of God's grace in us. Not just the power of God's grace to save us from our sins, which indeed His grace is able to do that. But the fact that even after we're saved, God's grace in us, works to make us into what God wants us to be. My text I've chosen this morning is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 9-11. through 11. It is the main text, and so I will ask you to stand, please, one last time in the honor of the reading of the Word of God. And we're going to read together verses 9-11. through 11. The Apostle Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it is I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. Let's pray. Father, I first want to just say thank You for Your special presence here this morning. God, where would we be without You? Lord, it is so refreshing, God, to come in Your presence. And God, we know that You're with us always, but Lord, just the the Spirit in this place this morning, I thank You, God, for Your presence here. Pray, God, that You would minister to needs. And I ask now, and I acknowledge now, before these people, and most importantly, before You, God, that I need You to touch me. God, help me to not just go through my notes. Help me to not just speak out of my own understanding, my own heart, or my own wisdom, but God, may I die to self right now and allow You to work through me as a vessel. I pray that You'd anoint me to preach this morning in the power, in the demonstration, in the unction of the Holy Ghost of God. Lord, I pray that this morning, if there is anybody here that hasn't truly repented of their sins and found the the salvation that comes through You alone, I pray that today would be their day, God, that they just lay it all down and come to You and find salvation through Your amazing grace. Lord, I pray that You'd encourage us this morning. God, that You would be glorified above all. God, we'll be careful to make sure that You only get the praise and the honor and the glory. For through You comes all good things. We ask it this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. 
Paul said, I am the least of the apostles. I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. He said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. I want to talk to you this morning about the, the reality that not only do we need God's grace when we're sinners to be saved, but we need God's grace after we're saved to be what God wants us to be. We discussed last week that grace is when God gives something to us we don't deserve. It is the goodness of God, the unmerited favor of God. And the reality is that if we're not careful, we'll begin to think that God owes us something. And that now that we've come to Him, now that we are Christians, that somehow, some way, we don't actually need as much grace today as we needed back then. But we need God's grace every day of our lives. Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. Before we talk about that present tense, I am, what was Paul? He said he was an apostle. But let's talk about what he was before the grace of God in his life. He said, I don't really feel worthy to be called an apostle. He said, I'm the least of all the apostles because I persecuted the church. You know, the Apostle Paul, he wrote most of the New Testament, almost uh, every one of the epistles, the book of Romans, First and Second Corinthians, First and Second Thessalonians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Um, he, some think that he may have written the book of Hebrews. He penned a lot of the Scripture that we have in the New Testament. You would think that this guy, the great Apostle Paul, surely he was this great, kid that loved God all of his life, this great kid that just wanted to do the right thing. But we understand his name was not actually Paul. His name was Saul. And I'll tell you, sometimes God has to give us a new name. Our past is just so terrible. God says, I've got a new name for you. His name was Saul. And Saul persecuted the church. He thought that he was zealous for God. Saul was actually one of the worst kinds of people. And I say that because he was oblivious to how much he actually was contrary to the Word of God. He thought himself to be this great, outstanding believer in God. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. But when Jesus came and Jesus died on Calvary's cross... And Jesus rose from the grave again, proving to the world that He was who He said He was. The spotless Lamb of God. The Son of Almighty God. When He rose from the grave, proving that He was who He said He was, Saul did not immediately repent. Instead, Saul got angry with the church. Saul got angry with the Christians. And he persecuted them, even unto death. Matter of a fact, the very first martyr that we read of in Scripture is the martyr of Stephen. And Stephen was killed. He was stoned to death. They threw giant rocks at him until he died. And Saul was there consenting to the death of Stephen, who was God's man, a Christian. Saul was the worst of the worst. And when God got a hold of Saul, it was actually on the road to Damascus. 
And Saul was headed to a city because he heard there were some Christians there. And he had the authority. He had the authority of the government behind him to hunt down Christians, to arrest them, and bring them back and put them in prison. This is a pretty wicked and vile man. This is what Paul was. This is why Paul says, really, I'm the least of the apostles. What did he mean by that? At least the other apostles had spent time with Jesus. And they followed Jesus. And they sat and they listened to Jesus. But Saul, not so. He persecuted Jesus and he persecuted Jesus' followers. And here's what he says. I am what I am by the grace of God. Grace is such a difficult subject to teach because... In our sinful nature, we just want to take it and twist it and turn it into a license to sin. But Paul said many times, should I go on sinning that grace may abound? God forbid. Absolutely not. But brothers and sisters, when we understand the reality of grace, we understand that it's all God and none of us. Look at Paul's salvation experience. He was on his way, I'm talking on the horse, headed in the direction to arrest Christians and throw them in prison. His heart wasn't seeking God. He wasn't going to Damascus to consider sitting in a church service and seeing if maybe what these people said had any merit. And on the way to do this wicked deed, The Joplin version, I'm just going to condense it and tell you what happened. God shows up and actually knocks Saul off of his horse and speaks to him and says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That's grace. It's the goodness of God. It's the unmerited favor. And then and there, Saul had a salvation experience that changed the rest of his life. And Saul, in an instant, was changed from the wicked persecutor Saul to the great apostle Paul. I'm telling you, there's nothing that can do it but grace. Said though that I am what I am by the grace of God, I want to, what I really want to focus on is not so much his salvation experience, but his life after salvation. He did say, "I am what I am by the grace of God." He, he said, "I didn't. Ta- I'm not taking any of this credit for myself, because when I was in control of myself, when I was calling my own shots, when I was functioning out of my own wisdom, I was a wicked." evil man, persecuting God and God's people. But I'm changed and I am what I am. But what is he? He said, I labored more abundantly than they all. He is now an apostle. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. He is now somebody who is diligently working for the cause of Christ. Paul says that it was the grace of God with him that allowed him to labor as an apostle. Why is this important to us? Because if we're ever going to really be used by God, 
We're going to have to lay aside all of our pride, all of our arrogance, and all of our ignorance in thinking that somehow we can do anything without God. The Word of God says, God tells us this, that without Me, you can do nothing. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 15. You know what else is interesting? In, in John chapter 8, Jesus is having a dispute with some of the Pharisees. You never know. Saul might have been one of them. He might have been there in the arguing match. Now, I want you to think about Jesus in the flesh, the Son of God, 100% man, 100% God. He made this comment. He said, I can of myself do nothing. He said, I judge and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Now, when Jesus was here, He was the Son of God and we watched Him prove it. He gave sight to the blind. He gave hearing to the deaf. He made those who were unable to speak, gave them the ability to speak. He made the lame with crippled legs able to walk. He raised the dead a handful of times. An example is when we saw Lazarus dead for four days and Jesus raised him from the dead. Here's what Jesus said about His ability to work the miracle-working things of God. He said, I can of Myself do nothing. Brother and sister, I'm telling you, when we finally understand that we have to have God to do anything for God, we begin to understand the need for grace. We can become so foolish and think that somehow we can work ourselves into some great position that God is forced now to bless us and use us in some great way. I don't care how perfect your life is. I don't care how many times you read your Bible. I don't care how many times you pray. And I don't care how many times you show up to church. And I don't care how much money you give in the offering plate. You can do all of it to the fullest and you still need the grace of God in your life. We are what we are by the grace of God. And I'm telling you, when we forget that and we begin to think that somehow, some way, we're something great without God, you'll see the power leave the church. You'll see the power leave the Christian's life. Because we are what we are by the grace of God. Grace made Paul what he was after salvation. That being a great man of God. Can I tell you that it kind of does two things for us. The first one is it humbles us. And I want to tell you, as much as we like the idea of grace, we like the idea of God's freely blessing us and loving us because He's God. There is something in our human nature that instinctively we reject it. And I'll explain to you why. We like to feel like we've done something to earn it. Because if we've done something to earn it, follow me now, then whatever we've done means that somebody is obligated to give us something. We have some control in the matter. I've talked about the paycheck, the idea of a paycheck and the difference between a paycheck and grace. There's not a person in here that shows up and clocks into work and doesn't expect a paycheck because your employer is obligated to you. And there's something 
about our faith. There's something about our relationship with God. There is something instinctively about us as fallen creatures. We want to be able to have some say-so in the matter. We want to be able to do this thing or that thing and then rest assured now this has to happen because something is obligated to me. And God says it doesn't work that way. No matter how good you do it, it's not good enough. You need my grace. My unmerited favor. And the first thing it does for us, when we really understand it, it humbles us. It humbles us. And and it really begins to get our thinking straight. Because first, here's what our selfish, fleshly, carnal-minded thinking does. Well, if it doesn't matter, then why even try? If God's going to bless me anyways, then why even waste all the time to try to be so faithful to God and try to go to church and read my Bible and pray? If it's all grace and God's not obligated at all to do anything for me just because I do those things, then why even do it? That's fleshly, carnal-minded thinking. I've thought it and so have you. And here's the reality. The answer is we need to be humbled. And I'm telling you, it gets our thinking straight. Why do we do it? Because we love Him. That's why. The purest, most godlike, holy form of devotion to God is built on nothing more and nothing less than love. We're not trying to work ourselves into a position where God is obligated to bless us. God, I show up because I love you. And I love you because you first loved me. See, I'm telling you, grace really it straightens things out. It gets our relationship right the way it should be. I said it does two things. One of which is it humbles us. Because we realize we need God's grace all the time. Here's the second thing it does. And here's what I pray that this series really begins to do in the heart of God's people. When you get a hold of grace and you really wrap your mind around it the best you can, and you let it begin to sink deep into the depths of your heart, I'm telling you that some courage begins to rise up in the child of God. And that fear, fear begins to fade away. Because I realize I don't have to be perfect for God to use me. I don't have to perform exactly right in order for God to love me. That God loves me because He loved me and because He's God and because He's good and His grace and His love is greater than all of my sins. And when I begin to see that, some fear begins to fade away. And I'm telling you, the heart of the child of God, when we understand grace, something should rise up in us that says, you know what? I'm going to do something for God. I'm going to step out of my comfort zone. I'm going to do this thing or that thing. I'm going to speak up for God. Not because I'm so perfect. Not because I'm so holy. Not because I'm in a position that I think that God now has to use me. But because His grace is sufficient to cover all of my sins. And He loves me with a perfect love. And it doesn't matter if I'm perfect. It doesn't matter if I'm the smartest person in the world. If I know a hundred Scriptures or if I know ten Scriptures, my God loves me and He's able to use me just as I am because His grace is greater than my weaknesses. Grace humbles us. And then after it humbles us, it puts a, a holy courage in us that says, I can do something great for God. Because my God is good and His grace is able to use me. 
I am what I am by the grace of God. Secondly today, grace has the power to change us. Talking about God's grace in us. Grace has the power to change us. Ephesians 2, verses 8-10 through 10 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. There's the, humi- the humbling part of grace. But look with me at verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is probably, verse verse, uh, 8 and 9, probably the single greatest um, simple statement on how we're saved. For by grace we've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But notice right on the heels of this awesome statement about grace that saves us. Paul does not stop there. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. You see, not only are we saved by grace, but we are created by grace. I am what I am. By the grace of God. God's grace, and this is so important. I want to spend some time on this thought this morning because this is something that as a church, as a whole, our culture, we did a really poor job defining. God's grace not only has the power to save us, but it has the power to change us. When God gives us His grace, at the point of salvation, and we're translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. When we are changed from sons of Satan, John chapter 8, your father is the devil. When we're changed from sons of Satan to sons and daughters of God. Not only does God's grace have the power to save us, but it changes us. And when it changes us, it changes our destiny. It changes the way we live. It changes the way we think. Now, I'm certainly not insinuating that immediately you're perfect. That you'll never think another sinful thought. That you'll never commit another sin. That you'll never deal with anger or worry or fear or doubt. I'm not insinuating that this morning. But I am telling you this. God's grace has the power to change us. For we are created in Christ Jesus for... See, there's a purpose. There's a purpose. There's a reason God saved you and there's a reason He's working in you. And it's bigger. It's bigger than simply for you to get to heaven. Thank God. Thank God that it is that we can get to heaven. Thank God that I don't have to spend an eternity in hell. Thank God that my sins were paid for on Calvary's cross. And brothers and sisters, if indeed that was the only thing that we got from the grace of God, we would praise Him forever. But the reality is, our God tells His love for us is even bigger than salvation in and of itself. We're created for a purpose. You were made by Him and for, for Him and by Him. 
Colossians 1.16 tells us. We were created for good works. And I want to tell you this morning, on the authority of the Word of God, when grace really gets a hold of your heart, it will produce works. People who think that they can go on sinning and live any way they want to live because they're under grace and they prayed some foolish prayer that they thought mysteriously and magically was just going to change their eternal destiny. They don't really know grace. And I will go on record publicly saying that a grace that isn't strong enough to change you certainly isn't strong enough to save you from hell either. God's grace is powerful. And it is powerful enough to save us from hell. Thank God for it. Where would we be without His grace? But church, we again got to understand the real grace of God. When we really submit to it, and when we really allow God to have His way in our lives, it changes us forever. It changed Paul. It changed me. It changed multitudes of you out here. doesn't mean we're perfect. We read about some certain struggle. We don't know exactly what it is with the Apostle Paul when he prayed for God three times for something to change in his life. And what was God's answer? My grace is sufficient. Don't misunderstand me in saying that if God really gets a hold of your life, you're never going to have problems. You're never going to struggle. I didn't say that. But you know what? In large part, We as a church, and there's only one church, by the way. And you've got people that belong to the one church in Baptist churches, Pentecostal churches, Presbyterian churches, Methodist churches, Lutheran churches, non-denominational churches. There's there's only one church. And so, but but I want to talk about the church. The church, especially in America. We have really watered down the gospel in a lot of ways. Our hearts have become weak. We have no courage to speak the truth. And we just want to make people feel good. And untold millions, millions, have been lied to and believe they're saved. Because they were told, here's all you got to do to be saved. Just say these words after me. And then if we're really good to try to like cover our backs, we always use this term, and mean it in your heart. Listen, if you mean it in your heart, it'll change you. That's the bottom line. Because God's grace has the power to change us. His grace is so powerful. It is so strong. It is life-changing. And the Word of God tells us that We're saved by grace, but that that same grace is given to us and we are created for good works. Good works. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you're an NIV reader, that's what it says. (laughs) Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Gentleness, self-control. These are the things that grace will do in us. These are the good works. Good works go so far beyond showing up to the church and being willing to help out. Which, by the way, I meant to say this in announcements this morning. 
thank you to all you who came out and helped yesterday at our um, the booth that we had. It was just amazing. We had the hot eating contest. I think Jerry Zimmerman, did you win that? I think I think he came in first with ten hot dogs in three minutes. We had snow cones. We had people handing out information about the church, and it was it was just really neat. Thank you for that. But I want you to know that ultimately the works that God's called us to, it's bigger than showing up inside these doors here and doing something. It's about going to a lost and dying world and being the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. It's about showing the love of God to people in darkness. It is about being gentle and kind and loving and caring. And the power of God's grace in God's people will do that in us. I'm always very careful not to tell people they're saved. Very, very cautious with that. Believe me. Jesus said that in order for a man to be saved, he has to be born again. Then unless a man is born of the water, which represents birth, and the Spirit, the second birth. He shall in no wise inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's what he told Nicodemus. I want to submit to you this morning that if you were chained up in darkness, if you were bound to a sinner's, to a devil's hell, if you were lost and undone, dead in your trespasses, and then God, by His grace, saved you and translated you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. If God caused you to be born again and placed within you the Holy Spirit, you won't need me to tell you so. You will know. And that's why I'm very careful not to tell people they're saved. If you're wondering if you're saved, can I tell you and tell you unashamedly, get it nailed down this morning. What are you doing wondering? What are you doing curious if you're saved? You should know that you're saved. John wrote in 1 John, he said, I write these things to you so that you can know that you're saved. And if you read 1 John, I'm talking about how grace changes us. He says, look at your life. See, your life will tell you if you're really saved or not. The whole book of 1 John, you can read it in about 20 minutes. It's five chapters. The purpose of the book is written to tell us if we can know if we're saved. Not one time, not even once, does John say or insinuate to look back and ask yourself if you prayed a prayer sometime and meant it in your heart. He didn't say that ever. He didn't even insinuate that. He says if you want to know if you're saved, all you you got to do is look at yourself. That's it. Those who practice sin are indeed practicing lawlessness. They're children of the devil. John chapter 3, read it yourself. Those who practice righteousness, those are the sons and daughters of God. This is how they're manifest. Now, are we saved by our works? Absolutely not. Ephesians chapter 2, we just read. Not of works, lest any man should boast. 
But the reality is this, God's power of grace in our lives, it changes us. It changes us. It is a power working grace. And we need not be ashamed to say so. I'm not anybody's judge. I'm also extremely cautious to pronounce people unsaved. I'm not God. I don't know your heart. But I do know the Word of God, and the Word of God teaches us that His grace changes us, that it creates us workmanship in His hands. And that a life that is touched by God is a life that will be changed by God. His grace has the power to change. Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. And thank God for that. I can rest as a Christian. I can cease from my striving because I know that His grace is sufficient. The Bible says we're His workmanship. Can I tell you, God doesn't make junk. God is perfect. And you need to know this morning that you are not junk. That you are important to God. That you were fearfully and wonderfully made. That you are the only one of you. The only one of you that God has ever made in all of creation. And you are important to Him. And He has a divine plan for your life. Oh, how desperately we need to just lay aside the things of the world and lay aside all the stuff that seeks to pull us away from God and with surrendered hearts and surrendered hands just say, God, have Your way with me. Nothing really matters but You, God. And to You, I am perfectly made. To You, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. To You, I was created for You. And can I say, if you were created for God, that makes you important. You're important. Grace should make us treat each other that way too. When we understand that God made these people, we need to love them. I've got a sermon, part of this series is coming on our grace towards others, so I'm not going to spend any time on it this morning, but I will say it's a good sermon. Because we do need to love others. Man, if we as God's people would give other people the grace God gives us, we'd be the most loving, fun group of people to ever be around. You have no idea how much grace God has to give me, and I have no idea how much grace God has to give you. But I know this. I know how much grace God has to give me. And I better have the heart to give God's people and the people of this world that are not His yet. The same type of love and grace that He gave me. Can I tell you, because we are created for God's work, good works in Christ Jesus, that never fear the calling of God on your life. God's grace is big enough to make you into what He chooses you to be. I believe with all of my heart that God calls That word call, it's a very specific calling on a person's life where God says, I created you for this cause. I believe that God calls people to be politicians. We need Christian leaders in this country. I believe that God calls people into the business realm. We need Christian business owners that can show the love of God to their employees, that can that can impact the community, that, 
that can that make money, that can fund the things of God. I believe God calls people into the realm of business. I believe God calls teachers, singers, preachers, fathers, wives, mothers. I mean, you can be called into just about anything. I believe that God calls us to do stuff. And when you know that it's God, I want to encourage you, don't be afraid to answer the call of God. Because we start thinking, well, I can't do it. How could God use somebody like me? What if I really position myself as a Christian business owner? And, and I really, by faith, step out on this. And I'm going I'm to have a Christian business. Well, well, then what happens if I end up getting in a fight with this non-Christian and, and losing my temper? Well, then what? Well, what happens if, if the business fails and people look at me and mock and think, wow, God must really be with you? You see, the devil tries to get us to shrink back where we start to just do it kind of in our own strength. Listen, you need to trust in the grace of God. Quit looking at your inabilities. Quit looking at all the things that the devil might do that would destroy you. God's grace is greater than that. His grace is bigger than that. And when you really get a hold of God's grace, it should dispel fear. As I realize, God, all that I've got to do is trust You and keep my eyes on You and keep my focus on You. And You're going to take care of me. You're going to meet our needs. You are a good, loving God and Your grace is sufficient. His grace is greater than the enemy's ability to destroy God's will for our life. Don't fear the calling of God on your life because God's grace is big enough. Thirdly today, God's grace has the power to sustain us or keep us. Philippians 1.6, Paul. See, Paul was a man of grace. He understood grace. He's the one that wrote these things. Every one of them we've read so far. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. You see, God's grace not only starts the work, but God's grace finishes it as well. One of the traps that we get caught up in as Christians is, and it's amazing to me, I was guilty of it for years, lots of years. We make it so easy to come to God, and it is, by the way. I mean, you come as you are. God takes you the way you are. I don't care where you're at this morning. I don't care what you've done. There's not anybody in here that's did more than the great Apostle Paul. Nobody in here that spent their life rounding up Christians to persecute them, have some of them slaughtered and the rest in prison. I mean, that's the, that's the height of wickedness. I don't care what you've done this morning. You can come to God as you are if you're willing to lay your life down at His feet, repent of your sins, and accept the life-changing grace the saving grace that He gives. But here's, here's where we err a lot. It's like we make God, this, and He is, a great, friendly God that with arms wide open saying, come to Me. But then after you're saved, after you're a Christian, you ever notice how hard we make it to like really receive the favor of God? All of a sudden, it becomes this great, difficult work where you've got to read so much. You've got to pray so much. You've got to go to church so much. You've got to do this or you've got to do that. And if you don't do that, God can't use you. 
And a lot of times I've seen Christians who live more in more condemnation after they're saved than they did before they were saved. And all of a sudden, God is this really hard God to please. And no matter how much you do, it's never good enough. And so you're just constantly in a state of trying to be good enough, but you're not good enough. What a crazy train of thought that God would make it harder on us after we become His children than before we were His children. God is unchanging. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And trust me, brother. Trust me, sister. No matter where you're at, no matter what you're struggling with, this morning God still stands with arms wide open and says, just come to me. My grace is sufficient. You see, His grace has the power to sustain us. Paul said, I'm confident that He that began the work will finish it. So often we think, we know that God has to start the work. God started the work of salvation. But all of a sudden, we start to work it out ourselves. We take control. We take ownership of it as if somehow God's not going to finish it. Paul said he was confident. Confident that what God started, God would finish. Now, I want to ask you this morning. Are you confident that what God started in your life, God will finish it in your life? Because if you're not, you don't have a proper view of God's grace. His grace is sufficient. I already said once this morning, these are the types of things people will take and run with. Well, I just live any way I want to live then. You get a hold of grace and you won't. That's the bottom line. You can say that all day long. You're wrong. That's your excuse to hold on to works-based thinking. That's what it is. And while there are some who will abuse grace, we can't stop that by refusing to preach the reality of grace. God's grace is sufficient. It doesn't negate our responsibility to God, but listen, shouldn't we love Him? If His grace is that big... If His grace is that sufficient, if He's going to start it and He's going to finish it, shouldn't we love Him? I mean, the least I could do, we sang that song, is God, give my heart completely to You. He deserves it. And this again is the type of relationship God wants with us. One that is based out of love, mutual love for each other. Philippians 1.6 isn't the only passage that tells us something similar about God finishing it. In Hebrews 12.2, it tells us looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. He's the starter of it and the finisher. Of what? Not just the Gospel. Not just God's plan. He's the finisher of what? Our faith. I don't finish my faith. That's what it says. Our faith. He finishes it. who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. What, why is this so important? Because the pressure does not rest on us. Can I tell you, when you get a hold of grace, it is so freeing. 
I'm closing now, and I want to tell a story that I told last week, and I might tell it three or four more times during this series, and if you don't like it, then plug your ears. It's important about grace, though. Because I used to be one of those people that believed that in order to have any power with God, let me rephrase that. I used to be one of those people that believed that a person that had God's power on their life, that the power was contingent upon the performance of the person. And because I believed that, I was totally fearful all the time. And my wife could testify better than anybody else, and so can a handful of you that were with me during that stage of my life. I was one of the most faithful people you'll ever meet. I mean, if there was prayer meeting, I was a prayer meeting. If there was an extra church service, I was a church service. If there was revival, I was at revival. If there, it didn't matter, I was there. If it was a kids' event, I was there helping, whether I worked with kids or not. I was. I did everything I could possibly do, and I read and I prayed and all these things. But I want you to know something. A big portion of my motivation was actually fear that if I didn't somehow, some way, God would be disappointed with me and He wouldn't use me. And no matter how well I performed, and I'm not being air, I'm just trying to give you a testimony this morning. I don't care how well I performed, and I performed super good. You would have given me an A plus. I still felt like it wasn't enough. I don't care how well I did. There was always this haunting thing on my back. What if you fail? What if it's not enough, Joplin? What if you didn't pray enough and you've got to preach next week? What if you haven't studied enough this week and God's not going to use you? And I'm telling you, fear gripped my life because I really believed that what I did was contingent upon whether or not God could use me. And when I got a hold of grace, it was like it was like God took a thousand pounds off my shoulder and said, Son, you've got it all wrong. First of all, I didn't use you any of those other times in a great significant way because I was so proud of how much you read that week. I don't want you reading to earn my power. I want you reading because you love me and nothing else. I don't want you praying to me because you're trying to get some power from me. I want you to come to me in prayer because you love me so much. You just want to spend time with me, son. And all that stuff in the past, I used you anyways because of my grace. And my grace is sufficient to use you in the future. And I'm telling you, when I realized God's grace, the weight of the world came off my shoulders. And I can tell you, in a way that only God fully knows and God, and God sees the hearts, when I got a hold of grace and I understood I didn't have to do all these things to please God in order for God to use me, something happened inside me and all the more I just wanted to please Him. I mean, it had the exact opposite effect on my life that I always told people. If you believe that, you'll live any way you want to live. If you tell people that God's grace is sufficient and that God just uses them because He loves us, they'll go live any way they want to live. They'll do anything they want to do. No, they won't. And I'm living proof of it. God's grace has the power to change us. And when you get a hold of it, all of a sudden, the pressure comes off. 
Can I tell you this morning, if you're a Christian, you've been living in fear that somehow you're going to fall and, and, and everything's going to fall apart. Quit it. Quit it. God's grace is sufficient for you. Be confident that what He started, He will finish. Move away from your works-based thinking and thinking, I've got to do all of this stuff to get back to a place where I'm in right standing with God and kneel at His feet this morning and thank God that His grace is sufficient and simply turn back to Him and say, God, I love You and You love me and that is enough and I'm going to get my eyes back on You and on You alone. Rest and relax. Because though He calls us to it, He always gives us the grace needed to accomplish it. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said, verse 28 through 30, Come to Me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn from Me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For My yoke is easy and My burden is light. Christian, you should have rest for your souls. Jesus said, my burden is easy, my yoke is light. Why? It's not because He hasn't called us to do some pretty amazing things. To lay down our selfishness, to lay down our own will and embrace the will of God, that's no easy thing. He even tells us to take up our cross and follow Him. To love our enemies, to bless those that persecute us. Well, that sounds contradictory. Is that, is that an easy burden? Is that, an easy, is that a light yoke? The answer is yes, and I want to tell you why. Because what God asks us to do, He gives us the grace to do. If God asked us to do it in our own strength, it would be a horrific challenge. It would be an impossible challenge. But what God has called us to do, He gives us the strength to do. I'm telling you, it's His grace. He started it, He finished it. He's the author and the fisher, the finisher. What He began, He will finish. That's why His burden is easy. He does it through us and for us and in us. And this morning, if maybe one of the reasons you haven't come to God is because you think that it's going to be so hard How could I ever really give up these things in my life? How could I repent of this sin? How could I really love God? He will give you the grace to do it. He will give you the strength to do it. His grace is not only powerful enough to save your soul from hell, but it's powerful enough to change you. Only when we attempt to do the work of God without the grace of God does the burden become heavy? Corey Ten Boom said this. It's a really awesome quote. Trying to do the Lord's work in your own strength is the most confusing, exhausting, and tedious of all work. But when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, then the ministry of Jesus flows out of you. It's the Spirit of God in us that does the work through us. And I'll tell you, it is confusing, exhausting, and tedious when you try to do the work of God in your own strength. It'll, it'll, you do it, it, it about one day is the most that your body can take, and you just begin to fall to pieces. But when you stop and cease from striving and say, God, your grace is sufficient, 
You saved me and You created me for good works. My strength is not in myself. It's in You. And now I've got the courage and the faith to keep going on because God's grace is bigger than my weaknesses. God's grace is bigger than my failures. I'm going to close today with this. Wait, not going to do that last passage, Jim, on 1 John chapter 5 today. It's time to close. God gives to us, with salvation, the power to overcome the world. It is all through His wonderful, marvelous grace. The power of God's grace in us is sufficient to see us through. It doesn't mean that we're never going to face difficulties. It doesn't mean that we're never going to feel like our back is up against the wall. But God's grace is sufficient to see us through. When we understand that the grace of God is not only towards us in salvation, but in us to change us and keep us and sustain us, we can live in the freedom and the fear, freedom from the fear of condemnation. He is good. He is so good. This is where our peace comes from. This is why I can choose not to fear. If our worship team will go ahead and come this morning. Church, it's not about what we do that causes God to bless us. God blesses us because He loves us. I want to ask you a question this morning. Very simple question. Do you really feel like God loves you? Do you really feel like God loves you? And if your answer is no, I don't, you find yourself thinking thoughts like, well, how could He love me? I'm this, I'm that. I want to tell you this morning, your view of your sinfulness and your inabilities and your weaknesses is too big and your view of God's grace is too small. Because God's grace is bigger than your failures. God's love for us is not dependent upon how good or how bad we perform. He loves you. When you get a hold of that, all of a sudden, it's so freeing. God, You're so good. You love me, not because of anything I've done, but because You just love me. Have you ever felt love for no other reason than because somebody loves you? He does. And I'm telling you, it's enough to see us through. His grace is enough to change us. And when we're willing to just bask in that, we can rest. We can cease from our striving and realize, God, all I've got to do is just try to love You back. That's why I'm going to come to church. That's why I'm going to read. That's why I'm going to be loving. That's why I'm going to be selfless. Is because, God, I love You because You first loved me. Father, this morning we thank You for Your love. We thank You for Your mercy and Your grace. God, help us. Lord, I ask now, I pray, God, I've said everything You'd have me to say. Help us to properly see 
the greatness and the goodness of Your grace. Help us to not be afraid to lay down all of our pride and just be humbled and acknowledge we need Your grace. No matter how good we are, we still need Your grace. God, help us to be brave enough to realize that when we surrender to the truth of Your grace, all that's left is for us to love You. And ultimately, that's what You want. I pray this morning You'd set people free from the pain and the fear and the worry of works-based relationship. God, help them to see You love them because You love them. Oh God, this morning, lavish Your love upon us. In Jesus' name, move across this room. Heal hearts.